This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh, host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. Today I'm talking to Carol, whose husband Stephen died suddenly of a heart attack at 55. Carol, did Stephen have a history of heart disease? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. It was um, his father died at 48 through... uh, heart disease and um, in the family, yeah. So tell us a bit about how you met Stephen. I was um, sent to London on a two-year contract with the company I was working for here in New Zealand and um, I was transferred to British Olivetti and um, he was one of the salesmen there. I was a, a demonstrator on what then was accounting machines which turned into computers and um, I used to demonstrate for all the salesmen and um, um, 18 months after I had started and had 18 months into my um, job with British Olivetti I met Stephen and um, we just uh, became quite good friends and um, then, of course, I had to leave to go, to go back to New Zealand to take up my position again. And um, we'd, we'd only been seeing each other for about two and a half or three months. Anyway, he phoned one day and when I was in Wellington and said, I'm coming to see you, and that was that. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your relationship like? Oh, it was, it was, it was, a great, it was great. It really was. I mean, we both were interested in the same things and um, he was such an easy person to live with, as am I, I'd like to say. And um, we, we had lots of interests together. Mm. So describe him as a person and his personality. Well, he was he was very British, of course, um, and um, came from, you know, middle-class family and... Um, he had a, a wicked sense of humour. Um, very, very kind man. Mm. All good shoes too. <laughs> now, what happened shortly prior to him dying? Well, um, we weren't expecting it, of course. Um, but it was he. He suffered a major heart attack. The first one he had, which was. Um, about five years before he died so he'd had you know quite a few he was hospitalized and all that sort of thing and then he had a second one and that prompted a um, triple bypass which was successful and was supposed to last for 15 years but ended up just 17 months so during that time from the time he had the first one through um, to him dying he uh, suffered quite a few um, trips to the hospital in the ambulance, always a, a, 
an elbow in my side at midnight. It was always midnight that I had to call. But, um, yes, I mean, while we realised that he had heart disease then, um, we weren't expecting the death to come so quickly. So So these regular heart attacks didn't prepare you for the the fatal... I I switched off. I'm very good at that. My my sister, who's a who's a nurse, was more concerned about him dying than me, and I because I just wouldn't, I didn't accept it. I mean, I just didn't think about it. So, what resulted in him actually dying? Why was this last heart attack the fatal one? Um, well, it was only a, a small one, he, and he was in hospital at the time, and his cardiologist. Um, wasn't happy with what was, as he said, going on inside Steve. So he sent, he wanted him to go to uh, Greenland Hospital, which was the place to go at that time, and um, to have a, another angiogram to see what was, what was going on. And unfortunately, he didn't recover from that, which was the shock. So on the night he died, were you on your own? Yes, I was, and I was at home waiting for the phone call from Auckland Hospital to say that he had come back from Green Lane, and uh, when I received the um, phone call, they suggested that I should go to the hospital um, as soon as possible, which I did, and... um, I was lucky to see his last last breath, really, and um, fortunately, I I had arranged some friends to come and take me. Um, not that they knew they were going to take me at that particular time. That they were, they were cu- coming over to spend the time with me, um, waiting for him to get back to Auckland Hospital for visiting purposes. So, what was what was going to be? just transporting you to the hospital to visit Steve mm. alive turned out to be being with you after Steve had died. Yes, yes, which is the way it happened. And, of course, bad news always travels quickly. And before I knew it, all my friends had come around and uh, friends of Stephen's and they were all there. And it, it was it was... Uh, a most unusual evening really because I was in a state of shock and I just didn't sort of realise you know what had happened and um, it was only when I went to bed that night a a friend stayed and I woke up at two o'clock in the morning thinking I've got to phone all these people in England you know so it all started from there really. Had you and Steve discussed where what you had like done with his bodily remains? Well, it's not a topic that we ever really discussed. But one day, or one evening, out of the blue, we were sta- we were staying with my sister and her husband, and um, I don't know, we might have had a glass of wine too many, but everyone decided that they'd say what they wanted for the. For, to happen to them after their death. And Stephen was a, being an Englishman with a very 
English accent, he um, took off the um, accent of Fred Dagg rather well, and he was a big fan of Fred Dagg, so he um, he said, "I want, I want to, um, I want to be cremated, and I want my ashes to go into Taupo, and um, with the songs of Fred Dagg and the boat, and that's what happened." So that's what he so he got that he final got that, wish. Yes, yes. How did your children handle his death? We only have one, one child, Claire, and and um, she was she and Stephen were extremely close. Um, well, we all were really, but the bond between he and uh, she were was great. It really was, and of course she was absolutely distraught for quite some time and but you know like everybody else we get over it so she like you and he hadn't anticipated his death or prepared for it no so how did you survive the sudden death of a partner with whom you had such a good relationship i can't explain i can't i can't explain the feeling that you get it's just like you're looking into an empty world, and is this really happening to me? What do I do now? And then the next day, you think, well, this is what I've got to do now. I've got to get on, which I did, really. I had everything. I fortunately had a, a permanent part-time job, and that kept me going. Um, but I always made sure that I had a project to do when I got home from work because being at home because our daughter was away in, at university and um, going home to the empty house was difficult so I just made sure that I had I had uh, something to do to occupy my thoughts. So what sort of things oh, did you do? It, it could have been gardening, it could have been cleaning windows or the car or a bit of paint job here and there. I was, you know, just whatever. There had to be something to do. Now, obviously, grief differs for everyone. Mm. Did you find you cried a lot after he died? No, I, I didn't, actually. And I think the reason why was because I didn't want my daughter to, to realise um, how I was feeling. I had to be strong for her. And um, several years later, she said, maybe three or four, she said, Mum, I haven't seen you cry for Daddy yet. And I said, don't worry, darling, it will come. And did it? And it did, yeah. Was there something that prompted that or just the passage of time? I can't really remember now. I can't really remember, to be honest. No. Something must have. In, In what ways did your life change after he died? Well, I had to I had to forge a new life for myself because you don't know what to do after you've had a partner for, you know, so many years and um so I I did I did things that we had not done together because I didn't want to for example play golf if we'd done it together because he would always be there. I didn't, we used to fish and shoot and do all that sort of thing. So I stayed right away from that. And um, 
I, I did things that I knew he, I couldn't sort of see him with me. Do you think it would have been different if you had lived together much longer and he had died when you were both much older? Well, yes, I think they would have. Well, I don't know if different's the right word, but certainly what, the, if anything that good has come out of all this is the fact that he was, we were both young when he died, which, is, which has given me um, the opportunity to forge a whole different life Whereas if he was to die now, I'm retired and all that sort of thing. I mean, it would be a t- it would be far, far harder, I'm sure. How long were you together in total? Uh, about 30 years. And how long ago did he die? 22 right. years ago. Now we're approaching Christmas. Do you think about him at times like that, on significant days? Yes, yes I do. Um, always Christmas and of course his birthday. And um, I always used to ask him, what would you like for Christmas this year? I'd, and he'd you know, tell me and all that sort of thing. But then suddenly, well I don't know how sudden it was, but, but latterly when I asked what he'd like for Christmas, he always said... Oh, oh, a Ferrari will do, thanks. And um, a list appeared on the fridge and the word Ferrari was always written in red on the list at the top. And um, this went on for, I don't know, three or four, five years. And of the, the year he died, he came into the kitchen one evening and he had a very a strange look on his face. And he just said... Uh, you don't need to bother about buying me a birthday present this year, darling. He said, I've, I've, I've already organised something for myself. I said, oh, that's great. I suppose it's a Ferrari, is it? And he said, yes, as a matter of fact, it is. And it was? And it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it had been a dream of his since he was 10 to own one. And really... Um, he fulfilled his dream, which a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do or the thought to do. Did you resent the fact that he bought such a yes. lavish gift for himself? Yes, I said, that's, that's the price of a house on wheels. Yes. Don't worry, he said. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he had any sort of premonition that if he was ever going to get a Ferrari, really now's the time because he might not be around I, long? I think that had a lot to do with it, to be honest. Not that he ever said anything, because he wouldn't, because I I didn't know it was coming. Um, but he must have done. He must have done. So how long did he have his Ferrari and enjoy it? Six weeks. Wow. So after he died, you still had a Ferrari? Yes. So what did you do with it, Carol? I didn't know what to do with it. I thought, I can't put an ad in the paper. Um, So I I was fortunate enough to have um, a connection with um, a friend whose partner was in the second-hand car business, and I asked her if he would be interested, and she said, um... I don't think so, Carol. 
said, oh, I just thought. And she came back to me a couple of days later and she said, have you still got that uh, Ferrari in your garage? And I said, yes, I have. And she said, we think we might have a buyer for you. So I was lucky enough to be introduced to a buyer who, who bought it off from me. So that was a great relief. And on reflection, are you glad that he got to buy his Ferrari? Oh, abs- well, absolutely, yes. I mean, it, it was hard for me to take at the beginning, but, I mean, when I, when, with what I know now and I didn't know then, um, you know, he, he deserved it. So he had a shortened life, but would mm. you say he lived fully? Oh, to the fullest, yes. Are there other examples of where he behaved in that way, fulfilling his dreams? Well, the Ferrari really was a dream. The others were wants I would like to have, uh-huh. um, like a boat or a motorcycle. Or yes. a, full of surprises he uh-huh. was. Full of surprises. In terms of his occupation, did he pursue things that he was passionate about? Um, <laughs> uh, no, not really. He he, um, he 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 tried his hand at several things um, because he he wanted to try try it out. Um, but one wouldn't say that he was. Um, um, Passionate about, he was passionate about a lot of things. So in his latter years, he owned a corporate cab. Mm. So that was another surprise. <laughs> um, and that he 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 did that because he thought, after all his heart attacks and you know triple bypasses, that and he was a very good driver. Of course, he used to race in the early days, but um, hence hence his interest in. Ferraris, and um, he um, he just he touched he touched everything and everyone really. Has his experience influenced your life in in the way that you live your life? So have you lived more in the presence as a result of seeing what happened to him? I just, well, well, I suppose I do really, but it's, it's not because of. It's just what life has offered me, and in the way I've dealt with it, I think. Because you've been enormously pragmatic, the way you describe yourself, almost sort of lifting yourself up and dusting yourself off, and saying, "Well, uh, this is my life now, and I'm going to have to carry on with it." Yes, it's not so much of being my life now because I mean I'm, I had a life then as well and um, it was, it's just that you know when, when your best mate's gone it takes a long time to get over it but, you've, but you've, the thing that's carried me through really are all the fabulous memories I lived, I lived on them so and they were good Were they comforting rather than painful? Oh memory? yes Oh yes I mean otherwise I I wouldn't. I mean, I, I've got so much to talk about him, and it brings a smile to my face because there was always, you know, happiness. So, do you have a particular time where you reflect back on him with, with your friends, for example? 
well, I reflect back most of the time, but um, if we, we, our group of friends, and he had he had his male friends, and I had my female friends, and then we had our married mar- married friends. But um, everyone was so good to me. I was always included in any outings that you know we would have gone to as a as a couple, and um, we we have. Um, even now, every year, we have, there's five of us now that um, have a dinner just to get together because we're all at different parts of New Zealand and I've moved down to Dunedin and um, so we still all get together just to, you know, celebrate him, really. Well, that's fabulous. So, Carol, thank you so much for sharing your story. A lot of people, I imagine, fantasize about buying a Ferrari, but very few people either can or do. And it's fabulous to hear that that Steve, although he lived a shortened life, lived it fully. And he did, in fact, manage to buy his Ferrari and enjoy it briefly. The Ferrari was at the funeral, and um, the vicar who took the service during the... um, eulogy said it's so wonderful for somebody to be able to fulfill their dreams and he did absolutely yeah you've been listening to the final curtain ordinary new zealanders telling their stories about death podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app At Death Café Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death and, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Café Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.